Hello, and welcome back to the Attribution Marketing Podcast, where we help businesses, brands, and entrepreneurs get the most out of their marketing and advertising spend. On today's episode, we have Amanda Dixon from Barney, one of the leading venture capital and brokerage firms out there that are helping agencies get sold and acquired. So Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thanks so much for having me. So did I did I butcher the explanation? Why don't you give us the uh, one minute elevator pitch about Barney and and what that means to our audience? I don't think you butchered it at all, but I'm happy to do that. We are an M&A firm for businesses in the marketing services space. We predominantly service agencies. We're a team of about 40 based in New York with an office in LA and just opened up our first overseas hub in London. And yeah, we love the agency space mostly because we love the founders that we get to work with there. We love to hear it. We we have a lot of agencies who check out the podcast and LeadsRx uh, is focused on helping agencies as well. So I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to drop some knowledge on today's episode and, and help some folks out. If you would, just tell us a little bit about your background. I know there's a story that led you to this position and you had an agency yourself, if I understand correctly. So tell us that story and help us get caught up to today. Yeah, totally. Had a couple of different businesses, went through the stereotypical entrepreneurial journey, ups and downs of of building and trying to scale different businesses. And uh, ultimately, my last one was acquired. And for me, it was a life changing exit for the investment bankers in the space. It just wasn't something that um, I could find representation on in a way that I felt like was adequate. And went through that process. I couldn't believe how long it took. I couldn't believe how arduous the process felt. Um, Really old school. And I felt really underrepresented, especially at that time. People just didn't really understand how to value digital assets and knew that after I was done with that acquisition, that this was going to be my next my next gig, helping people go through the exit process in a different way than what I went through. I think one of the things that people find about our team is that most of us come from a pretty atypical background and that helps us continue to be disruptors in the space. When we're looking at ways to solve problems for founders, we're doing it from a lens that is very different than someone who has a you know, a really robust finance background and has worked at a bank for a long time. We're thinking about it really more as an entrepreneur. So put a time on that one for us. When did you go through that acquisition is my first question. And then the second piece is almost at what stage were you like, you knew what your next business was based on how bad of an experience you had selling, <laughs> selling the successful one. So talk yeah. us about that. Well, it was about eight years ago now, just the process really would have started over eight years ago. The acquisition was finished eight years ago. And I'll tell you what, the process from start to finish for me was was super, super painful. I don't know that when you're going through an acquisition, you already know what your next business is going to be. I needed to um, kind of decompress a little bit and really figure out the pain point that I was trying to fix in my next business. But the process really from start to finish, I remember interviewing a, a range of business brokers to investment bankers. And I really found that not only were they super sleazy and out of touch, they also just didn't understand my space. Being industry verticalized is just not something even still now fast forward seven plus years in this business, industry verticalization is just not something people really, really do. Although they say they do, generally speaking, it's they're still pretty broad. I felt like that was just 
I put me as a founder at such, such a disadvantage. So I don't know that there was necessarily one moment, I think really from start to finish, it was it was just incredibly painful and, and old school. I would just like to say on behalf of all agencies, we're glad you're in the space and that uh, we all need some support. And I think, you know, you guys are doing a service and connecting buyers and sellers in a way that just wasn't happening before. So what are you seeing in the trends just in the marketing agency industry? Yeah. How are these businesses changing? And just walk us through that. Gosh, that's one of our favorite things about what we get to do. The, the team, I think, really enjoys that. The businesses that we sold four or five years ago are really, really different than they are today. Like a pure play social media agency is hard to come by today. And the change in the space keeps it really interesting and exciting for us. We've seen a, a pretty big shift towards holistic solutions. I think when I started this business, we sold a lot of individualized one-off businesses, meaning they had one very, very specific service because that's what their clients wanted them to have. I think what we've seen kind of in the post-COVID era is that the most desirable agencies are those that are hyper, hyper niche and really good at what they're doing, but are able to solve a client's problem in a more holistic manner. So rather than just saying, we just do SEO, an agency that says, hey, we do performance marketing and drive leads for our clients. And if that's SEO, great. If that's PPC, that's great too, but a more holistic solution. We're definitely seeing that being a trend. And then outside of that, I would say, we're seeing a shift towards storytelling as consumers and folks on the other side of advertising and marketing are doing everything they can to skip over ads and paid media and you know, kind of black hat SEO. We're seeing a shift towards telling a, a true story to consumers that resonates with them and a media in which they're already on. So storytelling agencies, branding agencies, we're seeing those kind of come back into the fold. Well said. And, and that kind of takes us maybe to the next question, which is, I think if you rolled the clock back 50 years, the type of agency looks more like the Mad Men show and people are doing everybody's favorite quote, which is, you know, spray and pray. And the measurement really isn't there. And so my question to you, it's an interesting point that you made is that things might be swinging back in terms of telling a great story, raising awareness, as opposed to this click here and buy a t-shirt on Shopify. So Maybe just take us a little deeper on that one in terms of why do you think that shift is happening? And if if you were to have an agency with equal sales, let's say, in your left hand and your right hand, and the first one is doing more of the storytelling, brand building, raising awareness, big splashy media pieces and things like that. And the other one is just doing direct response. Which one do you think is better suited going into the future? Yeah. So I think to answer the first part of that question, I think we really saw a merging of sales and marketing in, in the COVID era. You could you can no longer have an individualized sales team and an individualized marketing team that don't communicate with one another because performance on, on a digital media is the only way that business was happening. I don't think we're going to be able to go back to a time before that happened. So I think that shift and, and the need to be able to communicate directly with consumers. It just, was just exacerbated tremendously in, in the, the kind of COVID and post-COVID era. We sell agencies all the time that are, you know, just SEO and just PPC. And the reality is they're still very highly desirable because of their revenue models. They're traditionally very retainer driven. They have normally a low client concentration risk. They're easier to scale because 
because they're on retainer. So cash flow is a little bit easier to manage. Whereas creative agencies that are storytelling firms, they may be able to solve their clients' needs a little bit better. From a business perspective, in many cases, they're harder to scale and grow because they're project-based. So if I had a business, I would probably go with the first. <laughs> if I was a brand, I would probably go with the second. Okay. Yeah. I think well, well said and a tricky, tricky question. So I like how you navigated that. Yeah. So I think just to go further down a similar path is, you know, I think a lot of these agencies, especially the smaller ones, they're driven by either a personality or some kind of brilliant creative director or someone who's kind of the lead salesperson. They control and hold a lot of those relationships. So my question to you is, if you were a traditional M&A firm, you come in there, you might be looking for intellectual property, stuff on the balance sheet, uh, real property, plant and equipment, all these other things versus an agency is this sort of like, well, how creative are you? What happens if your Facebook methodology doesn't work this time next year? Um, so my question to you is a little abstract, but how can you, uh, what are you using to value the agencies given some of these like more creative sort of a, a specific set of numbers that agencies deal with as opposed to a more traditional brick and mortar yeah. style business? Yeah, great question. So at the end of the day, buyers still really care tremendously about the cash flow of the business and ultimately what the business is making at the end of each year. So when we first do a high level valuation, we're really looking at net income or EBITDA and we're putting a multiple on that. Once we dive in, though, we look at a myriad of different things, leadership team and tenure of team and the structure of the organization being one of the most important pieces of valuation underneath net income or EBITDA. And the reason for that is because in the agency space, one of the only things that's being sold is the human capital of the team, the you know skill sets of the team and the tenure that they've been there, the relationships with clients. So in the agency space, you can have one business that's doing 900000 in net income and that has four full-time employees and the rest are contractors and two of the full-time employees are actually owners. And, you know, they're very, very engaged in the business. The margins are probably super, super high because they don't have a robust team. You can then also, on the other hand, have a 900,000 net income business agency that that has 30 people that's, you know, doing four or five million in revenue that that is ripe for scaling, but just has made investments into the infrastructure and ecosystem. So we care tremendously about that. And so do buyers. At first glance, though, that I think can be frustrating for the people, the agencies that have made the investments into the infrastructure and ecosystem. But work-life balance is, is typically a little bit better for the founders. And buyers know that those businesses are just much easier to scale because there's just more human capital available. What's your thoughts on work-life balance these days? <laughs> it depends on who's asking. I don't think... Um, for, you know, an entrepreneur, I don't think that's a real thing. I think, it, you know, that 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 narrative has definitely been made a little bit more glamorous and sexy than probably it is. <laughs> I don't think there's been a morning, even like on vacation, off vacation, Saturday, Sunday, that it's not 5 a.m. and I don't wake up like, oh, shit, I have so many things to worry about right this moment. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old and I do value and appreciate 
being able to spend non-disrupted time with her, it just means you sleep a lot less. <laughs> fair, I wrote, fair a, I wrote an interesting um, LinkedIn article not too long ago about hard work needing a rebrand. And it still is one of my one of my favorite one of my favorite pieces I think I've done just because I think everything out there right now is about, you know, like work life balance needing to be. Yeah. Well maybe you can do a follow up piece on quiet quitting. I it's it's literally getting published Tuesday. <laughs> All right. Same same yep. page. You, you yep. must already wrote it. Yeah, yep. it's going out on Tuesday. You must know something about marketing. Yeah, I can I can <laughs> tell. Yeah, and I think the standards are a little bit different. I think um, it's really important to give employees the option for that. And the people that don't want that or don't thrive in that environment are going to very quickly rise to the top. But the reality is to retain people, you have to give them the choice of work-life balance in today's world. And truthfully, that's why it's easier for us to recruit than it is like a bank or a traditional investment bank, because they're just not able to have that level of flexibility. I wanted to scoop back and you made a distinction that in agency or any business, you could focus on a particular niche and you could say, hey, we only do SEO. Okay, that's one way to specialize. Or you could say, we only service lawyers. And that's another way to specialize. Which of those two do you think is a better plan going forward for the agencies that you work with or maybe said in a different way? What fetches a higher valuation? I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other, but you definitely have to lean into in whichever area in which you're specialized. The best agencies are those that are the best agencies from a buyer's perspective. Again, I think that's important to make that distinction are those that are niche in something because the buyers are looking for something specific. The hardest things for us to market are those that can do everything for everyone. So if you're a full service agency, but you only service healthcare brands, amazing. If you're a an agency that services all businesses, but you only do web dev, great. That's, that's great. We typically see those agencies with a service-driven focus, someone who just does web dev or someone who just does SEO, um, with some sort of specialization in the type of client base. It doesn't necessarily mean it's industry verticalized, but we'll see that be a specific based off of B2B or B2C or business size. Maybe they're really mostly serving small businesses or maybe they're only serving enterprise brands. And sometimes our clients, the folks that are selling their businesses, don't even realize that their their client base is somewhat niche down. And so, again, one layer deeper here. A lot of times in the creative space, you find yourself maybe doing the same things over and over again. So, okay, we're going to set up another Facebook ad campaign, top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel, retargeting this call to action, 10% off coupon, these types of things. You can have an awesome art director, creative director, strategist put these things together. Or these days you can use an API to get your information over to Facebook and Google and you can use AI to generate the creative. And instead of having one amazing ad, you end up having a hundred sort of average ads and then you throw them at the wall and you let the data decide which ad was best. How do you see that trend playing out with agencies? And is that something that you see out there or working well? Yeah, or you think totally. I, I, will, I will say the most important thing is that your clients are happy and that they're staying with you. So based on who your client base is, that the answer to that's gonna be a little bit different. If you're servicing home contractors, 
you may be able to throw AI at that and see what sticks, pick the best ads, you can do your A-B testing, pick what works because their price point's a little bit lower and their expectations of service are just a little bit lower. If you're servicing an enterprise brand, absolutely not. They, they just expect a much higher quality and level of service. The most important metric that we look at is not necessarily the methodology behind how they're, they're running an agency. It's more so how happy your clients are. What's your client's average monthly spend? How long do they spend it? And, and ultimately then what's the churn rate? Um, and that's the most important metric. Where can folks get a hold of you? You're talking about your articles on LinkedIn and maybe you're active on Twitter. How do, how do yeah, people I'm super follow active on you? LinkedIn, Amanda Dixon, um, and then our website is We Are Barney. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show and dropping some knowledge for us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is the Attribution Marketing Podcast, signing off. <laughs>